and joined in uh, worship with you. It's been a real breath of fresh air because most of you know God has told us that we ought to go to a certain church not very far from here and he's been very adamant. Uh, whenever we've wanted to leave, he's pointed to the scriptures and said, this is where I want you to be. I want you to bloom where you're planted. And um, it's not easy. Uh, and I look around the congregation and sometimes I preach uh, there and, and my heart goes out to them because not many of them are saved. And if you talk about the word saved, you have to remind them that it's a perfectly biblical, justifiable word to use. That people need to be saved. They need to be saved from the penalty of sin. They need to be saved from the power of sin and they need to be saved and they will be saved one day from the presence of sin. So that's uh, very wonderful. And it's lovely to be with you this morning. My wife, Joan, sends her love to you all. So in case I forget to point out uh, uh, any one of you, um, then I'll cover you all with that little word. You know, memory is a very important aspect of life. And um, I try to remember who you are when I meet you because it's a little while since I've, I've been here. But I'm reminded of the Indian brave who came over to this country to take part in a, a quiz competition. And he got to the final for a thousand pounds. And the quiz master said to the Indian brave, who won the FA Cup in 1938? And he said, that's easy. Preston North End beat Huddersfield Town 1-0, he said. And he won a thousand pounds. Fifteen years later, the quiz master was in the north of America and he saw uh, an Indian com uh, uh, community and he recognized the tent of the Indian brave who came over to this country 15 years previously. And he stood at the door and he said, How? And the Indian brave said, Penalty. You know, when you wake up uh, and you're getting on a little bit, you wake up in the morning and you feel all over the place. Well, I do anyway, because <laughs> my glasses are in the kitchen and my teeth are in the bathroom. And <laughs> my hearing aids are in the bedside and something else is in a pot of water and... Um, so you feel all of But I thank God that I'm not all over the place where the gospel is concerned. I th thank God that I know that I'm saved and I've been thinking about an old uncle of mine who 70 years ago, I remember, he used to come and preach at our little chapel in Wales, not all that far from Cumbran, not all that far from Cumbran. Nobody's very, no, nowhere is very far in Wales. And he belonged, my old uncle, he belonged to the four-square gospel movement. And they preached the gospel, they practiced healing, 
and they preached on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he sought to win people for himself. And I never forgot some of the things that he said. So I'm not all over the place as far as the gospel is concerned, and I seek every day. I used to say to the missionaries when I was in charge of specialist ministries in London, I used to say, when you retire, will you still be a missionary? When you retire, will you still be a missionary? Because the gospel is good news. Just come with me down my street. Just on the corner I meet a woman who's a grandmother. I'm introduced to her by her daughter and she's upset because her mother has died and she can't cope with life. And so I stand on the doorstep and I talk to her about the Jesus Christ who said, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And I talk to her about the Jesus who can save and keep and support. It's good news for Granny. Four doors away, I'm talking to a man and helping him cut his lawn. And the gas man arrives. And he says, gentlemen, I've got good news for you. And he tries to sell us his latest commodity. And I said before he left, as he was turning away, I said, wait a minute, I've got good news for you. Listen to me. I turned to my friend and I said to him, tell him what Jesus has done for you. And he did. He told him how he was saved in an Anglican church. Would you believe he was saved in an Anglican church? And I said to the gas man, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Think about that and act upon it. He said, I will. Good news for the gas man. Good news for Granny. Just a few doors down the road is an old friend of mine. I'm the only friend he's got. He's so miserable. He's so grumpy. Everybody and everything is wrong. This is a wonderful country, he said. It's the people that live in it. <laughs> he came to see me one day. He said, I want to sort out my funeral service. I talked to him about the funeral service. I said, that's not the important thing to get ready for. I said, you need to get right with God. You need to sort yourself out. You need to allow Jesus Christ to sort your life out straight away. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all other needful things will be added unto you. Good news for grumpy! We were in St. Martin's Church one morning and there were two very nice-looking young ladies sitting in front of us. They walked up to the front and offered to the vicar a check 
They offered a check from the local pub which they'd raised singing carols. We want to give that to the church, they said. After the service, I went to talk to them. Ladies, I said, which pub are you from? The first and last, she said. <laughs> oh, I said, look at this, ladies, in Revelation. These are the words of the first and last. Jesus Christ. I said, you know, 50 odd years ago, I gave my life over to the first and last. And I've preached that he is the first and the last ever since. Ladies, good news for the gorgeous. <laughs> and it is. It's good news. Some workplaces are minefields for Christians. They daren't mention the name of Jesus. I've just read in the paper, in my paper that I get once a month, that a certain lady in a, working in a nursery school was asked all about Christmas. It was a trap to get her to quote Scripture and to get her to tell that Jesus Christ has certain standards about morality. She reported her to the bosses and she was sacked. My dear friends, it's not just enough to read the Scriptures to people. I remember preaching on Hyde Park and saying this 20 years ago, and I quoted John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but my being. I said, in 20 years' time, I will not be allowed to stand up and even quote this to you. It will be against the law. Christians are finding that a problem today. They can't get their Bibles out in some areas and read the Scriptures and tell what God says about immorality, about fornication, about adultery, about homosexuality, and so on. What's the answer? Christians need to know their Scriptures and say to people who ask questions, when you go home, get the Bible out and read it for yourself. There are ways of dealing with people's needs. If you've got your Bibles with you, would you be good enough to turn with me to the Acts? When I was a boy in school in Wales, we were taught from the Acts of the Apostles. We had to learn the first seven chapters of the Acts in the authorized version off by heart. My headmaster was an agnostic. He was an educator. And many years later, many years, 50 years later, 
Living in retirement on the south coast, he opened a newspaper and read something about me. And he said, it's got to be Lionel Ball. It's got to be that pupil that I had at Old Radnor School. And it was. And he got in touch. He wrote a letter to the City of London Police, Lionel Ball, London. And I got it the next day. And I got in touch with him. And I was able to say to him, thank you for making me learn from memory the Acts of the Apostles. First chapters 1 to 7. Now, we're going to, I'd just like to read to you that passage that covers the Ascension. Ascension Day was last Thursday. I'm so glad you had a good conference. It sounded a real blessing. Thank you for sharing what you did. It sounded really wonderful to me. And you had a speaker who was funnier than me, John told you. <laughs> Richard Taylor. And I know Cumbran, and I'm delighted to know that things are help happening in God's country in that part of Wales. Acts chapter 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to those men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful promise. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What, if I were to ask you, would you think is the greatest adventure in recorded history? It's relative, really, because If you're a historian, you would go back as far as Christopher Columbus in 1492. If you were uh, um, 
a reader of Old Testament Scripture, you would go back to the Exodus. If you were an explorer, you would go back to 1913 and talk about Captain Scott and his expedition. Or 1953, you would be talk about Colonel Hunt and Everest. Or 1954, and 3 minutes 59.4 seconds, the first sub-four-minute mile with Roger Bannister, that's if you're an athlete. Or you would go to 1969 and talk about the first landing on the moon. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that the greatest adventure of all time is contained in the Acts of the Apostles. Thirty-three years of approximately, thirty-three years of God's Holy Spirit working through dedicated and committed people. I thrill at reading the Acts. I think Apart from all that it contains, it's one of the most piece, greatest pieces of liter literature ever written. Written by an accomplished physician and historian and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought this morning, with your permission, and I talked to John about it, we would just look at a few stops on a sort of whistle tour of the Acts as to how the church grew. I have read it over and over and over again, and I am convinced that there is no other way available to us by which the church can gain ground in this decadent age. And I'm so pleased when I read in my periodicals the way God is moving in various places. When I talk to people like John and others who belong to New Frontiers, and I'm in touch with people on the south coast in Hastings who are part of New Frontiers, and things are happening in the spiritual realm, and it does me good to hear about it. So we take off, as it were, on this little tour. And I was in the RAF for 10 years, and I was always told that a good pilot is one who lands the same time as he takes off, the same number of times as he takes off. So we take off. We take off at Pentecost. We take off when these things are beginning to happen by God's Holy Spirit. And we move to chapter 6. And my first stop says this in chapter 6 and verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient 
to the faith. Not just, not just members, but obedient to the faith. Consecrated followers of Jesus Christ. The church grows when there is consistent prayer, preaching, and practical ministry, which I believe includes the ministry of healing and the use of the gifts of the Spirit. Some people are totally confused about the gifts of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in leadership. Leadership for certain people. Gifts of the Spirit for all those who will commit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God spread. How does the Word of God spread? It only spreads through His people. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. I love that. The number of disciples. Not just yes people, people who did something about what they believed. People who put their flag on the post. I went into Canterbury yesterday and do you know I could not find a Welsh flag. I wanted a Welsh flag to put on my runner beans. <laughs> I said to a chap in the shop, I said, I want a Welsh flag. He said, I haven't got a Welsh flag. And he offered me an English flag. I said, I don't want your cast-offs. <laughs> he said, what do you want it for? I said, I want it for my runner beans. I want people to see that I've got runner beans and above it I've got a Welsh flag. My mother was a keen rugby supporter. She lived right out in the country in a little isolated cottage. And whenever Wales won, which was more often than not, she used to go outside and put up a Welsh flag. Nobody could see it. And Christians in those days were those who were prepared to nail their flag to the mast so that people knew exactly who they were. And that was how the church began to grow because Christians were making themselves known. They were making people sit up and take notice. Take off again. Let's take off again and go to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. That's wonderful. The church grows out of a ministry of encouragement. It's been happening this morning. It's been happening. There's been plenty of opportunity for encouragement in the worship this morning. Plenty of opportunity for people to put their arms on another. This is what was happening 
with people like Barnabas. Even Stephen's martyrdom was a means of encouragement because Stephen, on his death pyre, was praying. And I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't praying for Saul of Tarsus, at whose feet people were throwing their clothes so that they could throw stones at Stephen. And Stephen was praying. And his death was an encouragement. And the Ethiopian eunuch who was met by Philip on a desert road in Gaza came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Reading his scriptures, who is he talking about? And Philip was able. And Philip was just one of the deacons. But he was a dedicated disciple who knew his scriptures. He knew where to turn. He knew how to expound to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so the gospel began to move out into Africa. And the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. That's what it said. I read it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem first, and it's going to move out. We're in Jerusalem. Where we are here, this is Jerusalem. And other people are witnessing in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We'll come to that in a minute because we're going to take off again and land on chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 24. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Notice the word of God continued to increase and spread. The church grows when it steps out in faith. That's what they were doing in those days. They were stepping out, doing things that they knew not about. They didn't have a map, did they? They were stepping out in faith. There were prayers were being answered. There were miraculous healings and deliverances. People were being delivered. Oh, that young lady was right. There's such a need for the ministry of deliverance today. I remember it well in my days. Sandy Miller and I were just starting out working amongst drug addicts and dropouts in the Soho area of west of London. And people came in. People would come into the mission center and fall on the floor. And we would kneel and pray for their deliverance. And they would hand over the instruments of torture that they were carrying with them and give to us 
saying, we've been delivered, we don't need this anymore. This is what was happening in the days of the church. There are churches, I believe, in this area who need the ministry of deliverance amongst their members. I really do. And, and perhaps I see things that other church members don't see when I mix with them or if I go and preach and I think there's such a need for deliverance here in this church. And I talk to people about the way they're going on in the churches and I have to say to them, you need the spirit of deliverance to deal with your needs. The Word of God continued to increase and spread. When we first came to St. Martin's, we had a man there, and I felt he needed to be prayed out. And I was told off by a certain minister in this area, you shouldn't be doing things like that. Why not? I said, I can ask God to move that man out of our midst and do it kindly. Oh, that's dangerous, he said. I said, no, it isn't. Because if he stays, he will be even more dangerous. And quite suddenly, as we say, out of the blue, he left. I heard him say, I will never enter this church again. And that's what we had been praying for. Joan and I, we had been praying that God would remove him. There's still a lot of work to do. Takes time. Doesn't happen overnight. As a friend of our daughter said to me the other day, you know, you don't get fat overnight. Worth thinking about, isn't it? This was real missionary work. This was real church building. This was real growth going on in churches. Let's take off again. And off we go to chapter 16, and when we get to chapter 16, we're into another exciting passage. And this is what I'm going to say about chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. They grew daily in numbers. That meant that they must have been together daily, some of them. It wasn't a Sunday to Sunday business with a lot of days in the middle with nothing going on. I think there were things going on every day. People were meeting in their homes. People were talking about the Scripture. I've been reading about the revival in Wales, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the late 1800s and the early part of the 20th century. I've been reading two books called Echoes from the Welsh Hills. They're wonderful. 
And these men meet, they meet in the smithy most nights to discuss the Scriptures. There was no television, there was no radio, there was no, nothing else to distract them. And they encouraged one another. They mulled over the Scriptures. They sang a hymn together. They prayed together. And God was working in their midst. Do you know what happened here? Paul and Barnabas had a row. They had a row. It says that they differed violently. It was a stand-up row. They probably shouted at one another. They couldn't stand the sight of one another probably at the end of the day. They argued. But it didn't stop the church growing. Now if you have arguments in your fellowship here, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the world and the church will not grow. God will see to it that things go on just the same. They separated because they argued violently. One wanted to take John Mark and the other didn't. Barnabas, as usual, was so loving and so encouraging. But Paul said, well, we don't want him. He left us in the lurch once, you know. We can't have that going on. But then you read later on that Timothy joined Paul and Silas and things were strengthened. And Paul and Barnabas eventually came back together again. So if we disagree with certain people, it doesn't mean that's the end of things, that's the end of fellowship. We need to allow God's Spirit to work in our hearts in whatever the case may be. Paul and Barnabas quarreled, but they went different ways and the gospel went with them. The good news went with them. The good news went to the grannies and the grumpies and the gas men and the gorgeous. It didn't stop it. And Timothy came and joined them. So, let's move on, take off again, and go on to chapter 19 and verse 20. 19 and verse 20. And you'll notice that in all these verses, there's been a reference to the Word of God spreading. Verse 20 of chapter 19, In this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The church will grow when the preaching is biblical and not just 
unorthodox. You know, you can have a biblical preacher. He can be totally, you can be orthodox preacher. He can be totally orthodox. He can cross all the T's and dot all the I's. But the preaching may not be necessarily biblical. Because Scripture says, The letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. I was talking to a man up in northwest of England about this very thing. I said, you know, the trouble is, there's a lot of word in certain areas of the Christian church, but no Spirit. The word has not been handed to the Spirit so that the Spirit of God can use it and apply it and drive it home into the hearts and lives of the people. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely. This is the secret. And grew in power. Grew in power. Preaching can be orthodox but it isn't necessarily biblical because it is not impelled by the Spirit of God. The letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. I am come, said Jesus, that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. I preached on this at St. Martin's a couple of Sundays ago. I said, you know, Life is not a matter of fact merely. It's a matter of degree. It's how alive you are. It's are you alive in Jesus Christ? And I point to the congregation. I said, you may have life. I can see you. You, You're animated carcasses. You move around. You can scratch your head. You can do what you like. I can see you're alive but are you alive in Jesus Christ? In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and drew and grew in power. We're going to land one more time, take off and land one more time. Chapter 28, verse 31. Chapter 28, verse 31. You know, The Acts is the only book ever written which didn't have an end. Didn't have an end because you and I are part of it. You and I are part of the Acts of God's Holy Spirit. The church grows when its members are prepared to make sacrifices just like you had to do when you moved here. When the church makes sacrifices and sees it as a kingdom ministry, as a kingdom 
ministry. Sandy Miller said to me, I was talking, we sometimes spend a weekend together, and I said to him when he was in charge of a church, I said, how's the church building up? He said, Lionel, I'm not too worried about the numbers in the church. I'm concerned about a kingdom ministry. Am I reaching out to extend the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I think this is what we need to be seeing. I spoke to a local vicar about this. I said, you're too fussy about how many people come to your church and how many people do this and how many people are on the comical roll and all the rest of it. What about the kingdom? Every Sunday, every Sunday you pray, thy kingdom come, you pray. I said, you're not interested in the kingdom? You're only interested in your little corner. The church grows when its members are prepared to make sacrifices. See it as a kingdom ministry. My dear friends, this is a confession. My wife and I depend upon the scriptures and upon each other and upon our quiet times of prayer in order to get real, live fellowship together. And when we meet folk like yourselves, we had to make sacrifices. And people have criticized me, they've criticized me in public They've been heard, it's been reported back to me because I persist in witnessing in a liberal situation. But we were asked to make sacrifices so that we could extend the kingdom. And my wife and I had this vision of two people retiring to Hearn and every Sunday morning getting in the car and driving somewhere else and turning our backs on the people in the village. And every time I walk through the village, I think of the people I meet who need Jesus Christ, people who know me, people like Granny and the gas man and grumpy and the gorgeous who need to hear that the gospel is good news. Quarter past twelve, I've gone on. I said on Tower Hill once, time has gone. No, it's not time that's gone, it's you that's gone on, said the chap. And that's what happens. The Acts is the one unfinished book in the Bible. And by the time Acts had finished there, two-thirds of the known world had been evangelized. They had witnessed to a pagan community and things had been happening. Why? Because the church 
grew. The church grew. Let me pray for you. Lord, Lord,